This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College. Join them for two weeks digging up dinosaur bones from the Jurassic period in Northwest Colorado this summer. For details, go to cncc.edu slash dinodig. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Hello and welcome to I Know Dino. I'm Garrett. And I'm Sabrina. And in today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about Jurassic World. Fallen of Kingdom. course. <laughs> we have Dinosaur of the Day, Othnelia, and we have a bunch of dinosaur news. But first, as always, we would like to thank some of our patrons who help us keep this podcast going and are at a reward level for shout outs. And this week, we would like to thank Scotty, Jackson, Megan Dixon, Kessler, Tristan Jules, Grandpa Dino, Rhinosaurus, Morgan Eklove, and Dr. Eigenbot. Thanks everyone so much. We really appreciate all your support. If you want to join these lovely people <laughs> and also get access to our bonus content, we have one more bonus episode we'll be putting out. Part six of six of all the dinosaurs of the day from Jurassic Park and Jurassic World, the ones that are in the movies and the mm -hmm. books and we explain where they appear, then check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash I know dino. Yeah. So before we get into all our episode stuff, we just got to Hong Kong. We've finished our trip to Taiwan, and we're working our way back to the U.S. via Hong Kong. <laughs> and when we got here, we immediately went to a mall. <laughs> IFC mall, to be specific. Yeah, because they have a T-Rex on display. Yeah, his name's Tad. Stands for the American Dragon. Yeah, and Tad is this 39-foot, 12-meter-long T-Rex, and you can see him only until June 27th. So we got very lucky that we were here in this small window. I think it started on the 7th or something of this month. Yeah, we missed a couple other dinosaur things that either ended right before or right after we got to museums, but we got lucky about this one. And it's, in a, it's usually in a private collection, I think. So it's just kind of on loan to this mall for a month, basically. Yeah, this is the first time Tad's on public display ever. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty cool. It is cool. And there's also a little Edmontosaurus chunk <laughs> to the side. I think it's part of the tail, it looks like, or part of the back. Yeah, and they found them together in South Dakota. And I think there's some teeth marks on it, they say. We couldn't get that close to it, so we couldn't really see, but... I guess we'll take their word for it. Yeah. So the whole exhibit, it's, it's actually an exhibit at a mall. It's called Meet the T-Rex. And IFC Mall and the Charity First Initiative Foundation work together to make it. And it's got six stops. Basically, you make a circle around one of the floors of the mall. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure exactly when the other exhibits are open. When we got to the mall, it was about 10 o'clock at night because it's open 24-7. And the T-Rex was still lit up. So we got some pictures of it. But then we went eight, and by the time we got back around 11, basically all the lights in the mall were off, <laughs> including the lights on the T-Rex. 
and none of we didn't check out the other exhibits beforehand but they were all kind of roped off a little bit yeah and no lights on and stuff but they were very simple basically just little information boards about other plants or animals that lived at the same time some and videos like and i think uh, there's a little bit of ar yeah they said that but it, it seemed like it was just a tv screen in a booth yeah so. well garrett <laughs> made his own ar Oh, yeah. I posted a picture on Instagram of one of the dinosaurs in Jurassic World Alive because you can do the little AR move next to the T-Rex. So that was kind of fun. Mm-hmm. I can't remember if we've mentioned this, but Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom came out in Taiwan on June 6th. So, of course, we saw it. And maybe you saw our videos on YouTube. They do contain spoilers. So mm-hmm. Lots so of spoilers. You know. Yeah. <laughs> All the spoilers. <laughs> Pretty much. And... We actually ended up seeing the movie three times now. We saw it in a 3D IMAX to start. That was the one at 9.30 in the morning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then we saw it at, in the afternoon on a 2D regular size screen. And then finally we saw it in a 4DX. And 3D. And 3D. <laughs> movie that, was, theater. that was a bit much for me. It was a lot. So if you're not familiar, 4DX is basically they put the seats on sort of these armatures that move all over the place. So they try to make it feel like you're in the car or on the road or whatever with them. It kind of shakes you around. Or when you feel a dinosaur stomp. Uh-huh. And then they also have water that sprays you in the face and air that blows on you and wind that blows through the theater and bright flashes that flash in the theater when yeah. there's lightning and so tons of stuff like that. I don't mind the bright flashes and I don't mind the moving seats. I think that really could add to it what i didn't like was the air blowing so say a dinosaur tail kind of snaps in the movie and then they have the air blow at your legs and it feels like it's snapping your (laughs) your legs painful i was wearing jeans so i didn't notice that so much (laughs) but uh, the thing i didn't like is it kind of pokes you in the kidneys over and over again (laughs) whenever anybody falls on their back it does this double poke in your back like you fell on your back yeah even though that's not what falling on your back feels like and but it's always poking you in the exact same spots so after two and a half hours getting poked in these two spots we were getting kind of sore (laughs) well I ended up being curled up in a ball so that <laughs> none of that stuff would touch me. <laughs> it was yeah. very uncomfortable. <laughs> so after two and a half hours of this, it was a little much. I really enjoyed the opening scene because the opening scene works well with this technology. But then, you know, that's about five, maybe 10 minutes long. And then it just keeps going and going. And eventually you're like, can I just sit still and watch a movie? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I wouldn't recommend seeing it in 4DX, really, if you have the option. Probably just skip it. Just go for the big screen. IMAX 3D was really good. The 3D in the movie is really well done. Mm-hmm. So I think the 3D is worth it. I don't always like 3D, but I think they did a good job here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, we both enjoyed the movie a lot, especially well, obviously not in 4DX. <laughs> <laughs> Saw it three times. Obviously, we liked it. (laughs) And we're going to be reviewing the movie in some depth in the next episode because that will have been about a week after it's been out pretty much everywhere. So if you want to not get spoiled, try to see it in the next week. Otherwise, I guess you can always skip when we talk about it. We'll also reveal the rankings of all your votes Mm -hmm. for favorite movies. So... Be sure to let us know before next week. Yeah. And we'll be revealing who won the TRX made Velociraptor sculpture. So if you haven't entered that contest yet, make sure you do. Jumping right into the news, we have one that really made me laugh and sent me down a bit of a rabbit hole, as they often do. I think that's every piece of news. Yeah, it is. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) So this one, 
these authors, Marcos Romano and James Farlow, were trying to look at sort of different types of gut contents. Yes. And learning a little bit about it. But it's not the kind of gut contents you usually like. It's actually kind of a hypothesis about gut contents. And really what they were wondering about is how do some of these herbivorous dinosaurs establish their gut flora, (laughs) as they sometimes call it. So basically, everybody in their guts, in their intestines, has all sorts of bacteria that help you digest food. Humans and all the animals have this. They're very helpful, those bacteria. But it can be difficult to establish the bacteria in the gut. And some food is really hard to digest without gut bacteria. So these authors didn't find any new evidence of gut bacteria. They didn't find any new coprolite or anything like that. They're really just reinvigorating a hypothesis. And the hypothesis was apparently originally proposed back in the 1980s, in the early 1980s even. And the authors say since then it's been mostly ignored. The hypothesis is that the reason that herbivorous dinosaurs lived in large groups is so that the baby dinosaurs could quickly get the gut bacteria from their parents. Mm. And then the way that they do that is by eating the parents' poop. (laughs) Yeah. And if you're familiar with animals, you might know that koalas do this sort of famously. Oh, but they look so cuddly. Yeah. And some, some other animals do it too, because it's a really effective way to get the bacteria into your body. It's just, you know, like in one end, out the other, establishes everything. Is that better than a fecal... uh, Human fecal transplant? Yeah. I really like the idea of that. That's... (laughs) I think it's similar. I think what they do there is they take some of the bacteria from somebody's gut flora and they encapsulate it and then you swallow it. Or I think you might be able to get it as a suppository too. Oh, gosh. But... It can be really helpful for people that say they're undergoing some really extreme medical treatments, like, I don't know, chemotherapy or something like that might really annihilate some of your gut flora. And then what do you do? You know, it's hard to eat and you're already dealing with enough. Mm -hmm. If you can quickly reestablish the colony in your guts, it's great. So there's different ways to do that. And it seems like dinosaurs might have had a shortcut too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So... The authors are proposing that this is really likely, and the reason they're saying it is that it looks like there's more evidence that herbivores lived in groups than carnivores. And they're saying, okay, well, herbivores live in groups more because they need this gut bacteria. Mm -hmm. It's not the best cause and effect because previously people have talked about how living in groups is beneficial for dinosaurs, especially herbivorous dinosaurs. Because you can find food easier, mm-hmm. and you can also spot and defend against predators easier. Right. Like if you think about any sort of modern large herd of animals like zebra or wildebeest or whatever, when the predators come in, they can kind of rally around the young and protect them and all sorts of stuff like that. Right. Well, it doesn't have to be just one reason to live in a herd, right? That's true, yeah. So it's hard to say which one would be kind of the biggest influence and i don't know they didn't talk about whether or not modern herding animals tend to use techniques like this to sort of establish gut flora but that would be a good test as well they gave a couple of pieces of evidence for herbivores and groups they talk about how there's a lot of parallel trackways of dinosaur footprints i think that might be largely sauropods Mm mm-hmm we hear all the time about sauropod highways and things. Oh, yeah, how they shaped landscapes. Yeah, <laughs> and how they're all headed in the same direction and stuff like that. And then they also talk about Myasaura, which was famously shown to 
sort of be raising a nest full of young. And, oh man, in the article, they even have a picture of a Mayasaura baby eating some poop and it's kind of like smear around its <laughs> face. So it's like the weirdest combination of cute and gross that I think I've ever seen. <laughs> it's so strange. But they also talk about with their idea that it wouldn't necessarily have to be intentional like the picture displays because when the Mayasaura adults are creating the nest, they might just accidentally kind of mix in some of their bacteria or some of their poop hmm. into the nest and then the babies would just kind of be exposed to it. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't necessarily have to like actively eat it. It could just get on like their hands and their legs and all that kind of stuff and work its way in because bacteria are good at that. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a weird topic. It is. And yeah, so it's a potential other reason why there might be dinosaurs living in herds, especially herbivorous ones. And I, I mean, I suppose this could work for carnivores too, because carnivores also need their gut flora. It's a little bit easier to digest meat than some of these like cellulose and like more dense and fibrous food. But, you know, it could be helpful for them as well, I think. Really what we need is to study some bacteria and coprolite somehow, but I'm not really sure how easy that would be to find. And it also seems like you might need a series of it to prove it. Like you'd want to find a very newborn myasaur that doesn't have any bacteria in the coprolite and i don't know and how would you know where the bacteria came from it, this seems like a really hard one to test but it's definitely interesting nonetheless we've got an update on that mystery dinosaur that was auctioned off in paris at the eiffel tower earlier this month it sold for more than two million euros and just as a reminder, it was found in Wyoming. It's nearly 30 feet or 9 meters long. The exact species hasn't yet been identified, but it's a carnivorous theropod that seems to be most similar to Allosaurus. And the skeleton's about 70% complete. The Society of Vertebrate Paleontology had called for the sale to be canceled so that scientists could study the specimen. But the buyer is somebody from France who wants to remain anonymous. But the buyer has said that if he gets it, he would present it to the public. So hopefully that remains the case. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, hopefully Dan's by that. But it, he didn't say that he was going to donate it. And according to SVP, they say that, well, ethics dictate that no one's going to study it unless it's actually held in a museum's collections. I'm not sure if that's always the case. I know that's SVP's position, but there might be some scientists who would still look at it. It's mm -hmm. kind of hard to say. I'm sure if it does go out to the public, we'll hear more about it. Oh, yeah, for sure. And whether or not it actually does qualify as a new species. Mm -hmm. Because I think they're basically saying it's a new species of Allosaurus. At least they were claiming. So Yeah, but it's just early days mm -hmm. of analysis. Yeah, there weren't, but there weren't any huge differences. Like It looks pretty similar to a modern already established allosaurus mm. so yeah a lot of theropod news because there's a t-rex also at paris at the jardin des plantes for three months tricks the t-rex so Trix is there until september 2nd she was found in montana back in 2013 she was in her 30s when she died and she's got a full intact skull She's about 41 feet or 12 and a half meters long and one of the three most complete T-Rex skeletons found so far. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, that is good. 
Next, thanks to the New England Society of Geeks podcast and Colton for sharing this one with us. In Alberta, Canada, driver's licenses and ID cards will now have dinosaurs on them. Oh, yeah, that's so awesome. Yeah. I think it's an Albertasaurus. It is an Albertasaurus because... Well, it's also going to be new security features like laser engraving and 3D embossing, but the imagery is meant to reflect Alberta's landscape and history. So we've got Albertosaurus, which makes a lot of sense. So it's already starting to roll out now as ID cards expire. Something to look forward to, I guess, if your ID card's about to expire. Oh, yeah. I would just renew it anyway, even if it wasn't about to expire. It's really cool. So it's like the skeleton of Albertosaurus, and then above its back... It has your birthday and I think your name written. So it's like first, last name, and then birthday written out like, you know, first of June 2015 or whatever. And it kind of curls up in a like ever shrinking spiral up behind its tail. It's really cool looking. I wish California would do something like that. I think a lot of people wish a lot of places would do something like that. <laughs> Alberta has a good reason to do it with Albertasaurus. Mm-hmm. There's no Californiasaurus. There's probably California something else. Augustinolophus. That's true. But it doesn't have California in the name, which seems like something the state would be more excited about. Oh, true. So they might go for like some kind of fungus named after California or something. (laughs) (laughs) Next, thanks to Chris from Rent-A-Dinosaur, who recently shared that they have a new dinosaur, a sandy red triceratops that can walk and roar. This Triceratops is five and a half meters long and joins Dexter and baby dinosaurs, including an Emily Brontosaurus at Rent-A-Dinosaur, which sounds really cool. So, yay, Rent-A-Dinosaur. Nice. (laughs) More dinosaurs are always better. Animatronic, puppets, or otherwise. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Well, this goes along with that, Garrett. There's recently a high school graduate, Zachary Dundek, made headlines because he's been wearing dinosaur shirts for 5,000 days in a row and counting. That's about 10 years. Jeez. Yeah, and he said a lot of people didn't notice... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but people who did notice, he's known as the guy with dinosaur shirts and, you know, in a fond way. And on days where he has to wear something more formal, apparently he wears a dinosaur shirt underneath or he had a small dinosaur patch sewed onto his clothes somewhere. And it's not a superstitious thing, he said. He just really likes dinosaurs. Nice. I have not been wearing dinosaurs that many days in a row. I'm wearing a dinosaur shirt right now. And I do on most days, but not all days. Not consecutive. No, definitely not. 5,000 days is over 10 years, so that's a long time. Yeah. (laughs) I think I'm going on like four days right now. I wonder how much longer he'll go. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, at this point, it's probably most of his wardrobe or maybe all of his wardrobe in Mm -hmm. terms of shirts. So just as long as he's wearing shirts. (laughs) I wonder how many he has, what kind of variety there is. Yeah, that's true. Does he also buy shirts at museums like you? Probably. <laughs> if he likes dinosaurs a lot, he probably goes to museums with dinosaurs. True. And if he likes dinosaur shirts, pretty strong connection there. <laughs> <laughs> Next, thanks to August, who recently shared this story with us on Tumblr. It's a really touching story. So as a preteen, August got this book, Meg, by Steve Alton about sharks as a present. And at the back of the book was an ad for Raptor Red by Bob Bakker. August said, quote, I walked all the way to the mall one day specifically to go to the bookstore and buy that book. When I got there, I was about a dollar too short to get it. I was utterly crestfallen. I couldn't walk away. I knew I couldn't buy it, but I couldn't make myself leave. Some woman saw me. I don't know how old she was, but definitely an adult compared to me at the time bought it for me on the condition that I paid it forward one day. 
It's one of the few books I've owned as long or read as many times. And August said that this book has sparked a lifelong passion and hopes that this story about paying it forward inspires other people to do the same. And we agree. It's a really touching story. Yeah, that's really cool. That's a very good book. I could see how it would inspire you. Mm -hmm. And it's great that somebody helped them out when they needed it. Yeah, definitely. So moving on, if you're looking for dinosaur spots to visit this summer, Telegraph came up with a list. They mentioned uh, Kauai because you can see where Jurassic Park was filmed. There's Dino Park Funtana in Croatia. And then, of course, the Royal Tyrol in Alberta, Canada. It's quite a range of things to see. <laughs> I guess it depends what you're in the mood for. In South Deerfield, Massachusetts, speaking of places to visit, there's a place called Rock Fossil and Dinosaur Shop, and it's a dinosaur forest where you can mine for gemstones, and they have a lot of dinosaur sculptures, and it's full of prehistoric animals that used to live in the area as well. And you can also crush your own geodes, so that's pretty cool. I used to love that as a kid. I actually used to break open tons of rocks or just smash them, hoping there would be something inside. I still have that hammer. It's like completely mangled. <laughs> just smashing rocks for years. <laughs> Moving on to dinosaur media, there's another dinosaur movie coming out. It's not surprising. This one's called Triassic World. Oh, I wonder where they got that name from. Yeah. And the description is, quote, dinosaurs are back used as the perfect animals to grow human organs for transplants. Hmm. But in doing so, scientists have made them all but indestructible, leaving humans scrambling to fight back when the creature escapes a research lab. That's a really weird premise. Yeah. <laughs> and in the trailer, based on what I saw in the trailer, it sounds like the dinosaurs start acting like humans, too. Huh. I'm going to have to watch that. Yeah. <laughs> it's a pretty it's weird one. Yeah. Well, the movie comes out straight to DVD on June 19th. Oh, wow. That's before this episode airs. We're going to have to get it before, like, maybe we'll have a review right after the Jurassic World when we could compare. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's crazy. It would be cool, thinking about it a little bit more, if I could replace my respiratory system with one that a dinosaur has. I could really go for like the extra air sacs and the like constantly breathing in move that they have. That would be awesome. Okay, here's what I don't get. Wouldn't you have to only breed, assuming this works, wouldn't you only be able to use the small dinosaurs? What do you mean by small? Ones that have similar sized organs to humans. Yes. Yeah. So then in this movie, it seems like there were some big dinosaurs that were escaping. Oh, weird. It's interesting they picked Triassic World. Because all the famous dinosaurs are from the Cretaceous, or at oh, least a lot of them. Maybe those are smaller. The dinosaurs in the Triassic are smaller. Well, yeah. some of them are, at least. So the trailer was hard to tell. It would make sense. I mean, if you were to do this, which makes no sense, because how would you even use a dinosaur when we don't have dinosaurs? But <laughs> if you could do a strategy of breeding dinosaurs in order to harvest their organs for humans you would want them to be the earliest dinosaurs possible because those are the closest relatives to humans oh yeah because it's closer to the split mm -hmm. so that would make the most sense of an idea that makes absolutely no sense because <laughs> like if you were going to do this you would do it with a monkey or a chimpanzee or maybe even like a pig another mammal is a much better choice than a bird or <laughs> dinosaur like <laughs> makes no sense but it, i don't know i think they needed some reason to have anthropomorphic dinosaurs and this was the reason they could come up with that's yep. what it sounds like it's an interesting one yeah that is interesting 
<laughs> I really need to see it to know how it goes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. I guess we're watching it. <laughs> <laughs> and last, of course, we have to mention Jurassic Park and Jurassic World in some way. Well, I yeah. guess we already have, but we'll it's do it again. It's coming out in like one day in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Definitely have to. <laughs> so paleontologist Steve Brissett and visual effects specialist Phil Tippett weighed in on the realism of Jurassic Park recently and what we've learned about dinosaurs since 1993. Tippett said that he bought every book on dinosaurs and read them when they were making the movie, which is really cool that there was that much research that went into it in addition to, I know they worked with Jack Horner and other paleontologists. Tippett said that they had to change some of the descriptions in the novel. He said, quote, Crichton would have a Tyrannosaurus pick up the Jeep like Godzilla. I was like a reality check to say, well, no, he wouldn't do that because the physics don't work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. they. I mean, the realism in the first movie is actually very good. Mm-hmm. They did a phenomenal job. But we've talked about before, the main issue is that since that came out, they've just stuck with the 1993 science. They haven't updated it in order to keep up. Yeah. That's the big complaint that most people have. Yeah. Well, so Steve was saying it's still the most accurate portrayal of T-Rex at the time. And, mm-hmm. and like what you were saying, Garrett, but some things that we've learned s- since are that T-Rex did have good vision and it probably couldn't run much faster than about 20 kilometers per hour. Yeah. It depends who you ask, but yes. Yeah. That seems to be the consensus. Yeah. And- well, Tippett and his team, they observed modern animals that were similar to the dinosaurs they were creating to give them some behavior. So they watched elephants for Brachiosaurus, ostriches for Gallimimus, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. We've talked about that before. And he said, I have completely different ideas of what dinosaurs should be like now. If we were making a different dinosaur movie that didn't have to be Jurassic Park, I would do things totally differently. A lot of the stuff that they've discovered about feathers is pretty significant. And there's a lot of really interesting things you could do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Brousset said, quote, a T-Rex is like a bust-sized big bird from hell. <laughs> I think that's much scarier than a scaly green T-Rex. <laughs> yeah, I've seen some really cool paleo art of feathered T-Rex where they kind of have the frill, almost mm-hmm. like a lion mane sort of thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, that would be scary. So, But still, Jurassic Park has led to a whole bunch of paleontologists today. And... It's been really overall positive and influential. And oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Even Steve said he didn't know if he would have a job now if Jurassic Park didn't exist. So, yeah, we all appreciate it. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of like, well, what what else can we do now that we know more? Yeah, it's really interesting because if you go online to message boards and, you know, Reddit and things like that, you'll see these arguments. And sometimes people are like, I don't like Jurassic Park at all. But amongst paleontologists, especially paleontologists that grew up around the time Jurassic Park came up, Mm -hmm. it's pretty much universally adored. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Almost everybody loves it because you recognize, especially as a scientist, that things change over time. And you can't be mad at a movie that came out in 1993 for not knowing what was going to come out in scientific research 20 years from then. Yep. And the few things that they changed were mostly just making dinosaurs a little bit bigger and maybe changing a little bit about their behavior so it matched better with the plot. But it was a very good movie, very realistic for the time. And then the choice has basically been to just keep them consistent, Mm -hmm. which I think is the wrong choice. And I would at least like it if they introduced some new dinosaurs that had feathers, because it seems like every time they introduce new dinosaurs, they kind of keep them looking like the 1993 versions, Mm -hmm. which I don't know why they insist on doing. 
I guess it's part of the style that you're used to seeing. Yeah, but I mean, they're they're new dinosaurs, right? <laughs> they're supposed to be new genetic things, with, and you don't have to use that stupid excuse of like, oh, the frog DNA got rid of the feathers or whatever everybody always says, because <laughs> you can say, oh, well, this time we used chicken DNA because we realized that's closer, and now yeah. they all have feathers or what, you know? Yeah. Like, it's so important in terms of pop culture for a lot of people, Jurassic Park is basically the only place they see dinosaurs depicted in a sort of moving around realistic way. Mm-hmm. So regardless of what the science fiction backstory is, portraying them as close to accurate as you can is really helpful. So it would be nice if they updated. Okay, I'll end my rant. <laughs> <laughs> regardless of all of that, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom was very enjoyable. So. Yes, it was. <laughs> Definitely recommend seeing it. Although it looks like it's got mixed reviews. It does. And people don't like it as much as the first Jurassic World in general, which is really surprising to me because I liked it better. Mm-hmm. But we'll have to see what people think who are a little bit more into dinosaurs and judging it less based on its sort of film merits. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we saw it three times, so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it took us a while to even notice like, oh, yeah, that scene didn't really make a lot of sense because we were just staring at dinosaurs. <laughs> Yep. And it is, as promised, more dinosaurs Mm -hmm. than other ones. (laughs) Yeah. And puppets. Oh, yeah. It really shows in Uh, some scenes. Oh, yeah. (laughs) This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College, where you can become a part of the scientific process. As a participant, you can go on a real-life dinosaur dig, and you'll be helping to advance science and our understanding of the ancient world. What's really cool is that the fossilized bones that are being excavated, they're public, and they're going to be displayed and preserved for future generations to study and admire. Yeah, we've mentioned how that's a really important part of the scientific process, not just getting them out and describing them once, but keeping them and preserving them so that future questions and future scientists can take a look at those bones to answer new questions and validate results. And the site is special and also near and dear to me because it's in the Morrison Formation, known for the sauropods, Mm -hmm. of course, of the Jurassic time. And it represents one of the best bone beds ever found in the saltwash member. Yeah, the current interpretation is that the site was the result of a brachiosaurus sort of jamming up a river and then other carcasses piling up behind it. Oh, no. And that's how we got a bunch of different types of dinosaurs all fossilizing together. So, oh, no, but also, yay. (laughs) Good for us as scientists. Mm -hmm. And dinosaur enthusiasts. Yes. So there are two scheduled digs if you want to get involved with getting these bones out of the ground. You can go from July 6th to July 20th or from July 22nd to August 5th. Head over to cncc.edu slash dinodig. You'll get all of the details. Just make sure that you register online by May 31st. And again, that is cncc.edu slash dinodig, D-I-N-O-D-I-G. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. And now on to our dinosaur of the day, Othnelia. 
Othnelia appears in Jurassic Park, the first book, because as we are now approaching Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom coming out in the U.S., you know, we've been covering dinosaurs that appear (laughs) in the canon. They're referred to as Othies in the book, and they're found in trees. There's no evidence that they actually spend time in trees, though. (laughs) The Othies are actually a warning sign in the book that Jurassic Park is failing because they're able to leap over the electrified fences. Mm. And they're spotted by Tim Murphy in a stegosaurus pen when Tim's on a tour of the park. They're an example of how the security measures to keep the dinosaurs in their pens don't really work since the Jurassic Park team doesn't have the knowledge or technology to restrict them. (laughs) Typical Michael Crichton. Yep. Scientists can't do what they think they can do. (laughs) (laughs) So Othnelia was a small herbivore. It was about... 4.9 to 6.6 feet or one and a half to two meters long and weighed about 22 pounds or 10 kilograms. So not that big. They're bipedal and agile with small arms and long legs. And it was an ornithischian. It lived in the Jurassic and what's now the U.S. and the Morrison Formation. That would be a strange dinosaur to have in a tree. Not a lot of herbivorous six foot long dinosaurs in trees. Maybe they were smaller in the book. Oh, could be. Yeah. It's an interesting idea, though. Like, we, you know, sauropods had the long neck to reach up into the trees to eat leaves. It'd be interesting if there was a little dinosaur that ate leaves and just kind of scurried out onto the branches. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a dinosaur that's been known for a while. The type species is Othnelia rex. And maybe you can see this coming. Othniel Charles Marsh originally described the bones in 1877. But actually, he called it Nanosaurus rex. Hmm. And then it was named in 1977 by Peter Galton, who named it after Marsh. That's really interesting. It was named that early because that means its name predates Tyrannosaurus rex. So it was probably the first rex dinosaur and rex originally. Oh, rex later. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point. (laughs) So Marsh had found a femur and fossils were assigned to Othnelia later, though when Galton revised Othnelia, he found that it only included the original femur and a few bits. So he reassigned two partial skeletons to Othnilosaurus, another ornithischian. And then later Galton thought that the femur was undiagnostic and that Othnelia was dubious. And because he thought it was a gnomum dubium, he could not refer other specimens that were previously assigned to Othnelia to Othnelia, including a dentary and a nearly complete specimen that's in the Othel Dinosaur Museum in Switzerland nicknamed Barbara. And in 2001, Kathleen Brill and Kenneth Carpenter found a baby ornithopod in the Morrison Formation, possibly Othnelia, that's about a third the size of the known adult. Hmm. Yeah. Othnelia probably lived in a forest, and other dinosaurs that lived in the same time and place include sauropods, such as Brachiosaurus, Apatosaurus, Diplodocus, Chimarosaurus, and theropods, such as Allosaurus, Ceratosaurus, Ornitholestes, Stegosaurus, and ornithopods, such as Camptosaurus and Dryosaurus. And about 140 more since it's in the Morrison Formation, which is one of the busiest dinosaur formations. Yes. But these are some of the more well-known ones. Yeah. And our fun fact of the day is really the fun current state of science. It's really not so much a fact because it's kind of about how much things have changed over the years. But the depiction of Stegosaurus has changed quite a bit. And playing Jurassic World Alive has reminded me that... They stick to the Stegosaurus with two parallel rows of plates depiction. And nowadays, that's kind of a little bit outdated. We've been thinking for a few years, at least, maybe a couple decades, that the way Stegosaurus plates lined up was they're 
basically in a straight line, but they're slightly offset. So there aren't enough plates to do two full parallel rows, but there are too many to be in just one row. <laughs> so they're just staggered a little bit so that they kind of overlap, but they're a lot closer together. That's kind of the most modern depiction. And it makes for not that great of a silhouette though, because it just gives like this big sort of line with little bumps, kind of like overlapping mountains, sort of that look to it. So if you're wondering what the current look of a stegosaurus is, according to most modern paleo artists and paleontologists, it's that sort of staggered plate row, not just in one row, not in parallel rows, but kind of alternating. And that wraps up this episode of Ino Dino. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe so that you don't miss out on any new episodes. Also, check out our Patreon page for bonus content. We have content from all the museums that we have visited in Asia, as well as our bonus dinosaur episodes about Jurassic Park and Jurassic World. So thanks again for listening, and until next time. Good day.